Welcome, brethren, to this Day of Atonement. First of all, I want to compliment uh, those children who perhaps are just starting to learn to fast on this day. Uh, Some may be uh, hungry or they're looking wiped out. But just let me just say to you, good job. Uh, Glad you are making the effort. And as time goes on, uh, you'll get the hang of it and be able to realize you can fast and uh, not not, uh, kick the bucket. So again, uh, I want to again compliment you for your efforts in obeying God in this matter at your appropriate age and the circumstances. Brethren, have the nations of this world ever truly experienced freedom from the consequences of sin and the oppression of rebellious spirit influence? If we read the annals of history, uh, certainly, and the Bible, we realize from the time of the creation of Adam and Eve, there have been nothing but suffering and conflicts. From the time of Cain and Abel, uh, where Cain slays Abel in a very violent manner uh, through the uh, violence of the pre-flood world. And then, of course, from that time on, after the flood, through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the uh, time of Israel and the time of Egypt, we find, again, great suffering, uh, great difficulties, and and the weight of the consequences of sin uh, weighing so heavily in the families and individuals affected. Thinking back on the, the Vietnam War, which is a relatively uh, quick war or recent war in that sense, but this is going on when I was a, an older teen, uh, it brought back to mind just how many, this is the best way to express it, how many kids, uh, how many uh, teens uh, were drafted or joined to fight in that war. And here we were coming from an age of, of basic innocence, uh, the wonderful experiences of school, the activities, the carefree life, and then some ended up having to be drafted to learn how to fight to learn how to hate, to learn how to kill experiences they had never considered before. Uh, Some of us also had to uh, defend our religious beliefs in front of draft boards, some hostile, uh, some more favorable. But as a result, some served in low-paying community job or service jobs. And what was the result of that? Well, they had to postpone marriage in some cases, Families and careers were put on hold, and it was a very difficult time for these individuals. Uh, Some came back from the war, and if they were not wounded or, uh, uh, say, suffering physical injuries and emotional traumas from that war, they came back to crowds who jeered at them, who maybe spit at them, and did not appreciate the sacrifices they made or were forced to make. And going to war. And that was just one war among many. Well, what about now? Do not so many feel helpless and frustrated at the ethnic divisions going on and national divisions transpiring? Uh, do we not feel somewhat oppressed by those who are leaders in our societies, whether it be government, education, Uh, leaders in the entertainment industry, the news industry, uh, 
and we feel the, they're promoting so much immorality and promoting violence and hatred, and we feel out of control. Do we feel fully safe from terrorism? Uh, you know, we can't help but think uh, if we fly or even when we go to a mall or to a movie theater that what we used to think was very safe uh, could not be necessarily safe all the time. Are we free to practice our beliefs without understanding that our relationships uh, with others can be affected? Our children may be docked grades because of attending the feast or keeping the Sabbath, may not be able to participate in certain activities. Uh, other individuals may lose job opportunities or promotions or raises because of the, the religious and spiritual beliefs that they have proved to be important in God's word. Uh, other opportunities. Well, I'm describing what it is like in our nation, the one I've grown up in. Uh, but what is happening in many other nations can be far worse than what we're experiencing so far. Well, this Holy Day explains the part of God's plan when he intervenes to deliver humanity from the danger and oppression of this present world and brings a way of liberty for all. The title of today's sermon is Atonement, True Liberty. You know, there are reasons why this present world has not experienced uh, liberty. In reality, this world has experienced 6,000 years of captivity. And you might say, well, that's impossible. Uh, you know, we certainly have not been in captivity 6,000 years. Oh, yes, there may have been periods of time when a nation or groups of nation have been uh, in captive, uh, in captivity, or at war, nations have conquered them in war and in battle. But surely we've not been in captivity, but the answer is, yes, we have. And why? I'm going to talk about this a little bit before we get into the full meaning of atonement. You know, God reveals two main reasons for our slavery. And yes, we have been in slavery. But part of that slavery we have not really understood. Uh, we've seen the results, the oppression, perhaps, you know, where we feel so weighted down with the cares of this world and concerns, but not realizing we are in slavery. Well, the first reason is Satan, the devil, in a direct connection with what happens on this or pictured on this day of atonement. You know, who influences the nations of this world, uh, this world, this earth? In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8, when Jesus Christ uh, went into the wilderness, was tempted or tried by Satan the devil, notice one of the trials. In the verse 8 of Matthew chapter 4, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, how Satan did this, we don't know. Uh, but it's obvious that he was, he was enticing Jesus Christ to look at all of his creation. Uh, that is Christ's creation. You know, God the Father created all things through Jesus Christ. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down and worship me. And so Christ didn't dispute 
that Satan might have the ability to uh, give Jesus certain responsibilities. I'm sure maybe it was tempting to Jesus Christ to think, well, I can spare humanity's suffering if I could start ruling now and not waiting uh, till the Father sends me at the proper time. Uh, I suspect if those thoughts came in, immediately they were cast out because Jesus Christ understood the proper plan to to bring full freedom to all humankind. Uh, But I'm sure Satan uh, enticed him with that, that you can end suffering earlier. But again, that did not affect Christ's understanding of the truth and the only way to bring God's kingdom and peace to this world. In John chapter 12, You know, this world really at times, uh, I think some understand, I think there are so many, probably the majority don't understand, that there is this, this heavy spiritual influence on the world, and it is not a good influence. It is not the influence of eternal God, but it, of, it is of a rebellious spirit. In John chapter 12 and verse 27, again, Jesus is praying and expressing himself to God, uh, now my soul is troubled. And what shall I say? Uh, Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came to this hour. You know, this is one of the reasons I was born in the flesh. Uh, Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came from heaven saying, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. And therefore, the people who stood by heard it, said that it had thundered. Others said, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice did not come because of me, but for your sake. Because now is the judgment of this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. Again, referring to conquering over Satan uh, by his, his full obedience to God, a lamb without blemish, and his sacrifice to pay for the sins of the world. But again, Jesus mentions that Satan is the present ruler of this world. Uh, he is the one who influences the attitudes, the moods, some of the, the incredible, insane decisions that are made by individuals who have great influence on the uh, society. Uh, John 14, verse 30. John 14, verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you. Again, Jesus Christ mentions, for the ruler of this world, this present society, is coming and has nothing in me. Uh, You know, Christ was the ultimate exception. Uh, uh, Satan is the accuser of the brethren, but he really could not accuse Uh, Jesus of any sin, Uh, he could not accuse Jesus of rebellion against his father or weaknesses or spiritual problems because, again, Christ was so close to his father. He cried out day by day and had the spirit without measure and fully, even as a human being, became our savior and walked God's way of life fully and completely. He said, again, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming again, and he has nothing in me. Uh, The word 
can mean ruler. It can mean the prince of this world. It can mean exalted. And uh, certainly Satan exalted himself from the very beginning uh, when God gave him certain responsibilities. And certainly as a, a ruler of this present evil world, he is filled with vanity, exaltations. Uh, he believes he can thwart God's plan. There's something, again, just not right in his thinking. You know, how can any being, created being, uh, think that they can exalt themselves and prevail over God? And yet Satan uh, kept trying. John 16 and verse 11 there's, I still have, excuse me, of, uh, he comes of righteousness, and then he talks about of judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. So there is no question that Jesus Christ recognized that there is this, this tremendous influence on the world, that we are affected by this. And he, again, he didn't dispute that with Satan. But of course, Jesus Christ conquered over Satan, qualified over him, and will be the true ruler over this world when he returns uh, under uh, God's direction. But what is the nature and history of this particular ruler? You know, what, what, why do we have the influences that we have? What, what again, is it about Satan uh, that causes these kind of concerns and problems and oppression? Let's turn back to Ezekiel 28. The book of Ezekiel Again, chapter 28, we find uh, just briefly here a little bit of the history of this created spirit being. In Ezekiel 28, it begins with uh, uh, talking about uh, Satan uh, here in verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre. Now, earlier it talked about the prince of Tyre because there was a human ruler. But who is the ruler over the human ruler uh, that gave such incredible uh, influence in his mind and in heart? And so he talks about now the king of Tyre. And notice how this king is described. Say to him, thus says the eternal God, you were the seal of perfection uh, when God created uh, this great spirit being, you know, God created something good. And he was full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Now, again, how, uh, you know, uh, God's, God can see beauty in things perhaps we'll have to get used to understanding as beautiful. You know, he was a, a cherub, as he talks about later on. Again, a face of a, of a man, but a face of an ox, and a face of a lion, and a face of an eagle. And, uh, you know, the way the cherubim are described, you know, we're going to have to really come to understand and appreciate the, the tremendous beauty that God says he created. And uh, we'll accept that and understand that. But you were in Eden, the garden of God. And every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, sapphire, turquoise and emerald with gold. And the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. And that refers perhaps to his ability to, to produce music. Uh, from, you know, we have many uh, wonderful human beings who sing or play instruments. And apparently, uh, again, this, this being 
had tremendous musical ability that God had granted him. And I think all of us know, unless we are tone deaf, (laughs) we all know uh, how wonderfully uh, music can affect our emotions, our thoughts, and our minds. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a powerful communication that the spoken word uh, cannot convey in the same way. I mean, there is power in the spoken word, but there's also, again, uh, more power and emotion in uh, when it is sung and produced in music. And he had that ability. And he talks about, in verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. God gave him a great responsibility. And I established you, and you were on the holy mountain of God. And you walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Now, what happened? Excuse me. Uh, but what happened to, to Lucifer? By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within. So it didn't start from the outward sign yet, but from within, from the, the hatred, uh, the, the terrible character that was beginning to be developed within him by his choice. And you sinned. And therefore I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you or expelled you, can also refer to, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. But uh, Jesus Christ talked about he saw Satan fall from heaven as as lightning. So we know that this this great uh, situation, this, this great battle, uh, took place. Of course, uh, again, Satan could never win against God. Uh, but he tried. He tried to exalt himself. He tried to rebel against God. He left what Jude calls his first estate, but his prime responsibilities for which he was created. I mean, the angelic world were created to help those who are heirs of salvation, and not to exalt themselves and try to thwart God's plan. And he rebelled against it. Uh, again, in the New Testament, it uh, talks about the nature of Satan, what he became. And again, that was by his, his choice. But First John chapter 3 and verse 8, uh, He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. From the beginning, when he corrupted his own character, he began to, to violate uh, the laws of God and his purpose that he was created for. Again, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. So there are works. Uh, again, there, there is a tangible impact that Satan has on the nations of this world and on human beings. And Jesus Christ conquered over that. And not only forgiving our sins, but can live in us uh, through the Holy Spirit as uh, we overcome and prevail. In John chapter 8 and verse 44, in John chapter 8, verse 44, uh, we find that Satan is described in this way, as Christ is correcting the wrong spirit and attitude 
of some of the religious leaders. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And so he wants to destroy human beings. He he wants to murder human beings. He wants to kill the church. I mean, literally, not just uh, figuratively, but he would like to destroy, in fact, every man, woman, and child on this earth if he could. Uh, That's his spirit. Uh, That's his corrupt and and terrible nature. Uh, We know from Revelation 12, verse 9, that he deceives the whole world. And some individuals cannot believe that uh, because they see some good in the world. They can't. Well, how can we be deceived? But Satan does. He deludes. That's what deceives mean. Deludes, misleads by false statements or appearances. He gives a false impression. And again, we've seen that. Uh, that he, ha- he gives the impression that you can sin and rebel against God and do well. You can you can have blessings. You can do well on this earth, but you don't have to obey God or recognize Him. That's a misleading uh, uh, statement. That, that's a misleading concept because it doesn't work. Never has worked. Uh, we also know that according to Second Corinthians eleven, He disguises Himself as an angel of light. That's one way He deceives. Uh, his ministers, you know, those who serve him, uh, oftentimes unknowingly, uh, they appear to be uh, ministers of righteousness. That's a way to deceive. Uh, then also talks about in Second Corinthians chapter four that he has blinded the eyes uh, of those. Again, we can turn there. Second Corinthians chapter four and verse three. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and uh, verse 3. Even if our gospel, remember the gospel is the good news of God's coming kingdom. And of course the part that Jesus Christ holds in that kingdom. And uh, involves our plan to enter that kingdom. You know through God's plan of salvation. But even even if our gospel is veiled. It is veiled to those who are perishing. Again, the veil, you can't see past the veil. Again, just like uh, Revelation talks about, Satan deceives. He hides. It's to those who are perishing, at least in this day and age, whose minds, the God of this age, again, showing that uh, who is the one who who has that direct impact on, on our minds and thoughts, but God of this age has blinded who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And so Satan does not want the world to understand the true gospel. He does not want the world to have good news of a time of freedom within the government and ways of God. He doesn't want human beings to have the hope of entering into immortality in the kingdom of God. Uh, he, he wants to, again, blind people's minds to hope. And he wants the world to feel 
hopeless. He wants the world to, to feel depressed, oppressed, and uh, feeling like uh, you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Uh, that's Satan's uh, mindset. And so Satan, again, blinds uh, most people's eyes to uh, what God truly has in mind, be part of his family. And we've all walked in this way. That's why I said we've all been under slavery, but at times didn't, didn't fully understand it or realize it. But Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now works in the sons of disobedience. So there is some way, and I'm not sure if we fully understand it, but he's able to, again, uh, through through the air, to affect our minds, our thoughts. Again, we're familiar with radio waves and, and uh, other, uh, the Internet uh, uh, Setups, TV, these kind of things, how uh, they go through the air. Now, how Satan does that, how he can take his mind, his thoughts, and, and influence us. Uh, you know, we're not 100% sure, but we know he does. It affects the spirit in man. It affects our minds in that way. But uh, it's like we all all chose that way, which, by the way, is the uh, second reason for our slavery. You know, uh, I've been talking about Satan is the cause. Uh, but the second reason is our decision to decide for ourselves right and wrong. <laughs> so we do have our part. Uh, that's why Jesus Christ had to die uh, for our sins and our transgressions. But also Satan has his part, which again we'll discuss more fully here as the sermon progresses. Uh, in Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3, God gave Adam and Eve a choice. What God, of course, would have preferred, which I think we all would have preferred, is if they had chosen the tree of life. But notice here in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And we're going to see that this was Satan appearing in the garden. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now notice how Satan puts a negative spin. Oh, God says you can't eat this, you can't do that. Uh, you know, he's restricting you. Oh, you know, God is oppressing you. And the woman said to the serpent, At least she, she had enough, uh, again, uh, insight. He said, No. We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. No, God didn't say we couldn't do all this. We can eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Uh, this was the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Again, uh, like all you know, uh, fruits that God describes here, th there can be some good things. But there's evil. It's a mixture of good poisoned uh, with a way of life and thought process that leads to death. Well, Satan, again, the liar, remember from the very beginning, God says, if you go the way of sin, you'll die. No, you shall not surely die. 
Now Eve has to make a decision. Who do you believe? Who do you believe? And then he goes on, Satan, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. Uh, again, there's, there's a lot of poisoned uh, thoughts in that phrase. Uh, would, would their eyes be opened? Yes, but not in the right way. Uh, would they make decisions for themselves under Satan's influence? Yes, they would. But it would not produce good, all good. It would not produce all righteousness. It wouldn't, wouldn't produce God's character. Uh, but it would produce a way of thought and uh, evil and a mixture uh, that would cause death, eventually oppression, slavery, and eventual death forever, unless God would intervene. But when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, uh, that was able or pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were, were opened, and they knew uh, they were naked. Now, which is, is kind of interesting here. Uh, what happened? You know, were they happier? Were they more fulfilled as husband and wife? Because that, that's what they were, husband and wife. They weren't just living together. But they, they were bound by covenant before God. But no, now they, uh, embarrassment, a feeling of perhaps a little bit of dirtiness, uncleanness begin to creep in. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And again, they, they begin to hide from God. So what were the good fruits of this pleasant, uh, wonderful tree that Satan said, oh, this is going to open your minds. And boy, you'll be like God. You're, you're going to be great. And almost immediately, uh, their minds were perverted and twisted and did not lead to great happiness. Well, Satan knew that. They were on their way to the path to death. But it wasn't just Adam and Eve. Uh, I know that there are Individuals who feel like, well, if they were in the garden, they wouldn't have made uh, that decision. I think there's a, even a musical Camelot uh, where uh, the uh, knight, this good knight Lancelot, uh, basically in the musical at least, basically says, well, boy, if I were there, uh, you know, this would never have happened because he was so good and so righteous. <laughs> but the reality, as we turn to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, uh, Paul, under God's inspiration, states, for all have sinned, and all have fallen short of the glory of God. So we can't just blame Adam and Eve, the first two human beings that God created, but the reality is uh, we've all made the same kind of choice. And we've, we've seen the result of that choice, and God has made a way that we can repent. Uh, God can insert a different spirit in us through repentance and baptism and the laying on of hands. And then we can begin to go on the path of righteousness with Jesus Christ living in us and come out with a far different result, finally uh, beginning to go the way of life. Uh, but before that time, Galatians chapter 5, uh, verse 19. You know, so often uh, when I go to Galatians 5, I concentrate on the fruit of God's Holy Spirit. Uh, which is, again, so encouraging because that expresses the mind and nature of God. Uh, but here in verse 19 expresses, frankly, uh, Satan's attitude and spirit 
uh, in human beings. It's called the works of the flesh. But here in verse 19, Galatians chapter 5, now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, where human beings break their their special covenants they have with each other. Uh, This is one example, adultery. Uh, He talks about fornication, uh, which is, again, sex before marriage and trying to have a relationship apart from a godly covenant. Uh, He talks about uncleanness. You remember Adam and Eve felt dirty. They felt unclean uh, when they should have felt very clean in their marriage relationships. Uh, Lewdness. Idolatry. Or individuals are seeking uh, other means, beings, uh, pursuits in place of God, including literal idols. Then we have uh, sorcery being involved in the demonic realm, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, you know, departing from the truth of God, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. And these practices, again, destroy us. They destroy relationships. They destroy the relationships between nations. Uh, when, uh, again, on a, a national basis or an ethnic basis. And, he, and Paul, under, under God's inspiration, has said, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And we realize that that kind of nature and character cannot produce happiness and a productive way of life for eternity, it just doesn't. It's destructive. It destroys. It'd be a miserable existence for us if we had to live forever under those conditions. Uh, Whereas when we look at the fruit of God's Holy Spirit, you know, it's that kind of nature and character that allows beings, and God the Father and Christ have shown that, they can have, again, a happy, productive Wonderful existence for eternity with that kind of nature and character. And that's what he wants for his whole family. That's what it's all about. And so again, we see that uh, Satan is a prime cause. Our own choices have uh, caused the oppression and misery uh, that we're all under. And the way God describes this condition is slavery. Slavery. Uh, again, in this world, we tend to think of the human slavery, and we sometimes will reach back generations and uh, condemn other nations for slavery and issues. But we can go clear back to the very beginning. Israel was in slavery in Egypt physically. Uh, so many nations were at one time or another slaves through war and captivity. Uh, but he also describes us who may be technically free uh, as far as a nation, but he also says we're still in a condition of slavery. Notice John chapter 8 and verse 31. In John chapter 8 and verse 31. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, 
you are my disciples indeed. Now that's the uh, the whole thing. If, if if you're a learner, and you really want to be connected to Jesus Christ and and understand that He is your Lord or my Lord, <laughs> our Lord, and our Master, our Savior, then we'll not just recognize Him as such, but we'll try to follow and emulate His way of life and example. So you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So Jesus is implying that you you aren't free until you know the truth, until you understand and begin to follow God's way of life. And the answer to him, well, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. Well, apparently they didn't understand their own history because it wasn't just Egypt. But you know, how many times when you read the book of Judges and the book of the kings of Israel and Judah, how many times they were in bondage, even physically as, as a people. And somehow they just didn't make that connection. And they didn't understand how they were in bondage spiritually. Because they had the temple. And they had uh, the, the what we call the Old Testament or the, uh, the, the Bible, the scriptures. So how can you say you'll be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave. Of sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. And therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, brethren, again, isn't this fully true? As I, you know, opened the sermon, I mentioned that, you know, there, there is this oppressiveness that we all feel. Uh, whether we are technically in a free nation or not, Again, there, there are so many issues and problems that weigh heavily uh, in our minds and hearts. It could be the illnesses. It could be the marital relationships or the desire to have a marital relationship. It could be financial. It could, it could be spiritual. But, you know, you're walking away of life and it's not working and feeling cut off from God. Uh, all these can be oppressive uh, thoughts and uh, ways and Christ said, you know, there is a way. Truth will set you free. Free from the influence of Satan. At least we can resist that influence and recognize it for what it is. And as we uh, cling to God and grow in uh, grace and knowledge, and then there is a spiritual uh, freedom, uh, a spiritual liberty that God gives us. Uh, in uh, verse 20, of, uh, again, uh, we're still in John chapter 8. Excuse, I think I'm in John chapter 6, excuse me. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but verse 20, uh, For when you were slaves of sin, uh, you were free in regard to righteousness. Again, uh, I think I'm in Romans, excuse me. I'm getting you uh, confused here. But in Romans chapter 6 is where I'm, I'm still at. But verse 21, What fruit? Did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of these things is death. So there was a time when we were free in regard to righteousness. We didn't care about obeying God. The Sabbath meant nothing to us. Uh, whether uh, we had an idol or not meant nothing to us. Uh, we could uh, dishonor our parents, or we could uh, hate our neighbor, uh, we could steal. 
We could uh, break any of and all of God's commandments, and the world feels like, well, we are free. You know, God does not, you know, he's not in our lives. He doesn't, can't interfere with us. We can do what we want to do. We were free from righteousness, but what were the fruits of, of that way of life? You, know, you get drunk. You pursue the way of drunkenness. What are the results? Do you, do you feel healthier, uh, more vital, more alive, uh, filled with more wisdom and uh, you know, ability to think clearly? Is that the fruit? You, you, you hate your wife or you're unfaithful to her? Uh, is there, again, a, a, a warm, loving relationship? Do you feel better in life? Do you feel free from entanglements and so forth? Uh, you you steal. Are you free from fear of uh, police or retribution? I mean, on and on. Uh, I'm not going through the Ten Commandments fully. All I'm saying is that individuals who were free to walk their way of life and to dis- discard, uh, you know, God's laws, but what would be the results? And we're finding that again, uh, uh, emotional upsets physical consequences, all sorts of problems. The fruits were bad. And then when we finally know the truth, you know, we, we are now ashamed of what we used to do. Because for the end of those things is death. That is the wrong things is, is, the, is uh, death and destruction, suffering. Well, let's turn... Uh, to uh, Leviticus 23, because the Day of Atonement reveals God's plan for true liberty. Now, now I've depressed you enough, but what I really talked about was the reality of the world. Uh, whether we uh, ignore it, recognize it, think about it, uh, this is the world we live in. And we've all been under the slavery of sin. And the Day of Atonement, uh, one of the Holy days and God's plan of salvation uh, gives us a hope. So this will not always be our condition. It won't be the condition in our neighborhood or in our country or in the group of nations that we identify with. It will not be the condition in the religions of this world as God begins to intervene and establish the truth and his way of life. Leviticus 23 and verse 26 uh, and the Eternal spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement, and it shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict your souls an offering, uh, and, and an offering, offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. And you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. And uh, we know you're not to do any manner of work, and it'll be a Sabbath of solemn rest, an annual Sabbath, and you shall afflict your souls, verse 32, on the ninth day of the month at evening, from evening to evening, you shall celebrate your Sabbath. And so that is God's instruction. And uh, it's, it's, again, a wonderful picturing. At first we think, oh, this is the worst of God's holy days, because we have to fast, we have to afflict our souls. But if you look at it a little different way, you know, atonement can also mean at one with God, where we begin to walk with God, we're in harmony with God. 
uh, we should desire to be fully in agreement with God. And we should feel comfortable with God's ways and purposes. He said, not like, again, referring back to Adam and Eve, who hid themselves and were afraid. You know, God doesn't want us to have that kind of spirit and attitude. He does want us to be uh, fully part in agreement and harmony uh, with his divine family, a, a family of joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and all of the fruits and attributes of God's character. Uh, we find in, in, again, James chapter 4, there's the theme. We talk about afflicting the soul. That refers to fasting, by the way. And uh, as we fast, we draw near to God and uh, we resist Satan. And so what we're doing is we are, in a sense, uh, learning how to get out of slavery and uh, continue to walk in the freedom that God gives us uh, to walk in. Uh, James chapter 4 and verse 1. You know, by the way, God's laws are called laws of liberty. But we'll get back to that. But James chapter 4. In the, this is the theme. And this is the theme that we recognize on the Day of Atonement. But the theme of resisting Satan and drawing close to God. And the fasting helps us to do that because we spend more time in prayer, which is our relationship with our God, as we cry out to him and draw close to him and uh, have extra time to consider his ways and his works. And then we, we are sorry for our sins. Uh, again, just, we just recognize that, that our human nature influenced by Satan is not the way to go. And we want God's mind and God's character and nature Again, here in James 4, verse 1, Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure? That war in your, your members. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. And so it talks about this, this contention, this war that goes in our minds and our hearts. And then sometimes even physically, outwardly toward others. But war, contentions, battles, oppression. And in verse 7, therefore submit to God. You know, that's the answer. That's what we do in uh, fasting. It, it kind of is an outward symbol. As we, we show that we're willing to submit to God. And we're resisting the devil. And it says, the devil will flee from you. But draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and that takes the power of God's Spirit within us. Uh, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Uh, humble yourselves in the sight of, the, uh, of God or the Lord, and he will lift you up. And then James talks about the freedom of God's nature and character. And if we are honest with ourselves, it's, it's when we are too close to Satan's influence, the fruits of the flesh, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the hatreds, the contentions, the backbiting, uh, the stealing, the, the way of get, uh, that's when we're very unhappy and our relationships don't work. It's when we draw close to God and his way of forgiveness and love and peace uh, that we are 
feeling more liberated, happier, in harmony with everything God wants us to uh, to have and be. Uh, Isaiah 58. Isaiah talks about, again, fasting. That's why I want to just comment on that because that's part of the Day of Atonement. It's, it's how we begin to begin to have that process of becoming one with God. Again, uh, resisting the wrong way of life and drawing close to God and His way of life by the power of His Spirit. But Isaiah 58 and verse 1 begins, Cry aloud, you know, spare not, but lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Remember, the sins are the ways of death, the ways of suffering, the ways of misery and slavery. And so God says, let you know, my people know that this is the cause of all your troubles. And yet they seek me daily. They delight to know my ways. That's what they express at times as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. You know, they, in a sense, deluded themselves, or Satan caused them to be deluded. You know, they're thinking they were righteous, but they weren't being righteous. They weren't doing uh, what God wanted them to do. They weren't growing in God's character and nature. Uh, But they ask of me the ordinance of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Uh, We have fasted, they say, and and you have not seen. Uh, We have afflicted our souls, and you take no notice. And here was the problem. In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate. And to strike with the fist of wickedness, uh, you will not fast as you do this day. Uh, In other words, you know, fasting, whether it be on the Day of Atonement or other times during the year, which we we do. Uh, But if, if our way of life continues, it doesn't change then what's the value of the fasting? If we're not drawing close to God through fasting, all we're doing is starving ourselves, going hungry, uh, making ourselves miserable. Well, if that doesn't change the nature, uh, you know, where we're trying to draw near to a way of righteousness, of uh, learning to live by God's laws of love, uh, how to love our neighbors as ourselves, how to love God, to draw close to Him. Again, if, if the fast doesn't, work toward that end, then it's all purposeless. So he says, again, you will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush, to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? And some of them would have said yes. (laughs) We we fast twice a week or we uh, fast on atonement. And we're dutifully doing everything you ask us to do, but the spiritual results aren't coming. And God says, this is not the fast I've chosen. But verse 6, is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness. Uh, That means to repent of sins and to begin to follow God's laws of liberty. To overcome sin. And to develop a right relationship with your God. To undo the heavy burdens. To let the oppressed go free. That you break every yoke. Now think about that. Isn't that meaning coming out of slavery? Uh, Isn't atonement picturing liberty? 
loosing the bonds of wickedness and where we were in captivity to sin, undoing the heavy burdens, the consequences of our sinful practices and thoughts, to let the oppressed go free. That means uh, others will help us to go free as well and break every yoke that keeps us in slavery. We're talking about freedom from spiritual slavery, the slavery of sin. And atonement or fasting on atonement helps us to do that as we draw close to God. That's the key. It's not just the physical fasting. It's what it accomplishes. You know, our relationship with our God, walking with God, talking with God, uh, being close to him in, in every sense of the word. In verse 8, then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. And then you shall call and the Lord will answer. And you shall cry and he will say, here I am. And again, it talks about uh, all the wonderful results of this liberty. And if you take away the yoke from your midst, you know, the pointing of the finger, you know, the accusations and speaking wickedness. Again, if we are for one another, not against one another, but with the love of God in us. If you extend your soul to the hungry, satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. So not just a matter of belief, but belief and faith put into action. And then the Lord will guide you continually, uh, satisfy your soul in drought, strengthen your bones. You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repair of the breach, the restore of streets to dwell in. So we're talking about a tremendous set of blessings that come uh, when we're liberated from sin and its effects and then we draw close to God of his nature, uh, his ways, his power and again all the opportunities and, and freedoms that will come through that process. And so this day shows what God will do to free humanity from our bondage of sin. In Leviticus 26, or excuse me, Leviticus 16 uh, a ceremony took place that pictured what God will do. And it, it talks about Jesus, uh, of course, uh, in the New Testament, is our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And uh, the initial instruction uh, for the high priest to take a goat as a sin offering and present its blood on the mercy seat uh, in the Holy of Holies uh, goes back to what would happen to Jesus Christ uh, as our Passover. And, of course, uh, in Romans 6, uh, we should turn there. I'll just, again, make reference to this Levitical ceremony. But in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, uh, it, it reminds us of uh, what God wants us to do. Uh, Romans 6 verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Shall we continue in a way of life that produces slavery, oppression, misery, every terrible consequence uh, that God's mercy may abound? Well, well, certainly not. I think, I think I like the way that the old King James Version words it, God forbid, it gives the, the emphasis, the power of what Paul is saying here. 
This is unthinkable. How do we go back into slavery when the sacrifice of Christ has delivered us from the penalty of sin, which is death? How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in newness of life. And then verse uh, 6, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. And now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And again, it talks about how death will no longer have dominion over him or us because we are again living with God. Verse 11, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so that uh, goat for a sin offering, again, harkens back uh, to Christ's sacrifice and, of course, how we uh, are involved in that sacrifice by repentance uh, baptism, faith, and uh, we're atoned through the blood of Christ and uh, God forgives us and then we are liberated from the, the terrible uh, ways of sin as we overcome and uh, walk with God and, and talk with Him and He's a part of our lives. But then in this Levitical ceremony in Leviticus 16, there's also one goat to represent Satan. And uh, he was not killed. He was let go in the wilderness by the hand of a fit man. And in Revelation chapter 20, in Revelation chapter 20, uh, we find here is the prophetical meaning of that ceremony. And I saw an angel coming down from heaven, verse 1 of Revelation chapter 20, having the key to this great abyss or this bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon that serpent of old. And this, this serpent is identified who is the devil and Satan and then bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him into the, this, this great abyss and shut him up and set a seal on him so he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. So again, uh, he'll still be uh, taken care of and removed, uh, but just for a little while at the uh, the end of the millennium, uh, that will happen. But again, notice that he is restrained. Uh, he is uh, not allowed to deceive the nations during the thousand years. And according to Jude, we believe that uh, he, he will not be around God's family for eternity. Uh, but again, we realize that God takes care of Satan's part in the slavery of sin and uh, suffering and death. And he takes care of that. And so atonement is, is, should be joyous because this oppressive, terrible spirit that, ha that we're around constantly, we have to resist and be aware of, will finally be gone. And then it's very interesting in Leviticus 25. I'll again hurry along. I'm almost done. Leviticus 25. Uh, another event happened, not just this Levitical ceremony, 
but there was a, a special civil uh, civil result that happened on this day of atonement. Leviticus 25, verse 8. You shall count seven Sabbaths of years for yourself, seven times seven years, and the time of the seven Sabbaths of years shall be to you forty-nine years. Then you shall cause the trumpet of the Jubilee to sound, notice, on the tenth day of the seventh month. That's today, the day of atonement. On the day of atonement, you shall make the trumpet to sound throughout all your land. Uh, the word jubilee uh, is a little uncertain in meaning, but it, some say it literally means the blast of the horn, uh, while others think it means restoration or liberty. Uh, but, you know, all of that is included in the meaning of jubilee, and that began on atonement. Now, what happened? Now, this is interesting. You know, we just talked about how, again, as we are called, God grants us repentance and through the sacrifice of Christ, that uh, our sins are forgiven. Uh, we are freed in that way, and now we are free to obey God, to follow His Holy Spirit, and to uh, free to grow in His nature of love and the wonderful characteristics through the fruits of God's Holy Spirit, uh, which affects our lives in such positive ways. And so we are freed from sin. But in this time, notice it goes beyond that. And this, it affects everyone. The whole nation and nations eventually. Slaves were freed. The land returned to the family. The land was rested and rejuvenated. There was an economic fresh start. Now think about that. That's what God offers when Satan is bound and Jesus Christ begins to rule on the earth. Uh, Now we're going to find that uh, there is freedom returning to nations as we follow God. Uh, lands returned. Uh, God directs nations to where they ought to be, where their inheritance would be. Uh, the land is rested and rejuvenated, so we don't have to keep fighting the land to grow crops. But there'll be wonderful agricultural blessings. There'll be an economic fresh start. And how many people are oppressed financially because uh, they, they, they are deep in debt or with financial worries. And God lifts these burdens as we follow God. And that's the key. As we follow God and his way of life, and let Jesus Christ and God the Father intervene for us, and then we are liberated from so much of the, these terrible oppressions. Uh, God's laws are called the royal laws. They're based on outflowing concern, on love. And they are to be kept, again, uh, by everyone to everyone's good and benefit. Again, uh, that's explained during the Feast of Tabernacles, the results of this kind of freedom. And uh, this picture is, of course, what Jesus Christ begins to do as he ruled with the saints for a thousand years and beyond. And again, on this Day of Atonement, where, again, Christ binds Satan and the true saints begin to really rule with Jesus Christ. And it will be true liberty for all the nations as God begins. Uh, again, in Isaiah 11, it talks about that, but that will be covered uh, in the uh, time of the uh, Feast of Tabernacle, just coming up very shortly. But let's end with Romans chapter 8. Again, we'll end as we started. You know, we talked about slavery, suffering, oppression, the heaviness of life as we live it, and even those in the church of God 
you know, we still have to resist and fight. And, uh, you know, we don't have 100% full liberty uh, that will come in the resurrection and uh, where we're with Christ and ruling with Christ. Uh, But uh, we have been going now the way of liberty. But notice in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, Paul writes, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. But again, I want to end with that comparison. When we're at one with God, and Satan is bound, when we are, again, born into God's family as part of his children, and uh, we are glorified spirit beings. As Paul said, all the, the trials and tests under this present slavery of this world uh, cannot be, again, really compared with what God has for us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. Remember, Satan wanted to take away that hope. And God has given hope to the creation. Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. That's what, you know, this day pictures. So, again, in this world, in this present age, uh, we are weighed down with the troubles and evils of this present age. Now, we are trying as God's people to live a better way of life. And we are. And we are blessed. I don't want to minimize that by uh, by anything. <laughs> we are blessed. We are blessed when we obey God. Uh, God blesses us in so many different ways, healings and and miracles, and sustains us in times of troubles and testing. He's given us his church. I mean, there's so many blessings God has given us. Uh, Yet we still suffer along with the world in in many ways. We we live in this world. There are trials and there are afflictions. Satan and Satan's minions continue to influence the nations in order to weaken and destroy humanity. And the prophecies even show that, that if possible, Satan would try to even physically destroy the church of God. But God's not going to let that happen. And there are certain promises to the Philadelphia era that are very encouraging. But the meaning of the Day of Atonement should bring us great encouragement, frankly, for the future. Uh, again, even now, for those who have been called and have been baptized, our sins have been atoned for. You know, we are liberated from the fear of death, aren't we? We are liberated. From, we are liberated from sin, the con- that is the penalty of sin. And we're following a way of life leading to eternal life. And we have hope. And we're encouraged. And every day there, there is this burden that has been lifted off of us. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have trials and tests. But I'm saying, you know, there, there are certain burdens that have already been lifted as God has called us. And the time will come when we'll be able to assist Jesus Christ in bringing freedom to everyone, not just ourselves, but to all that we deal with. A release from the penalty of sin and a restoring of God's government on this earth and truth in every area of life that will give freedom. As God inspired Isaiah to describe the earth when Satan and his demons are imprisoned and restrained, He says, the whole earth is at rest and is quiet, and they bring forth the singing. A time when slavery is ended and true liberty begins 
for all humankind and eventually into the glorious family of God's kingdom and family. Uh, brethren, Godspeed that day.